This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Optimal Relationships Daily, episode 1108, A Brief History of Romantic Love and Why It Kinda Sucks, part one, by Mark Manson of markmanson.net. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to ORD. I am your host and narrator, Greg Audino, and this is the place where I narrate content for you that helps you improve your relationships, usually from blogs, sometimes from books. And on Saturdays, I actually answer your questions about your own relationships in our Q&A episodes. And sometimes, the best way to understand something can be to learn the history behind it. So over today and tomorrow's episodes, I'll be reading a longer post from Mark Manson in which he breaks down the history of love, how it's gotten to where it is today, and what that means for everybody. It's a cool article. I think you'll enjoy it. And it's a different lesson than what we might normally share. So let's jump into it now and start optimizing your life. A Brief History of Romantic Love and Why It Kinda Sucks, Part 1, by Mark Manson of markmanson.net. First fact. At some point during evolution between Plankton and Bon Jovi, apes evolved the ability to become emotionally attached to one another. This emotional attachment would eventually come to be known as love, and evolution would one day produce a bevy of singers from New Jersey who would make millions writing cheesy songs about it. Second fact, humans evolved the ability to become attached to each other, that is, the ability to love each other, because it helped us survive. This isn't exactly romantic or sexy, but it's true. We didn't evolve big fangs or huge claws or insane gorilla strength. Instead, we evolved the ability to emotionally bond into communities and families where we became largely inclined to cooperate with one another. These communities and families turned out to be far more effective than any claw or any fang. Humanity soon dominated the planet. Third fact. As humans, we instinctively develop loyalty and affection for those who show us the most loyalty and affection. This is all love really is, an irrational degree of loyalty and affection for another person, to the point that we'd let ourselves come to harm or even die for that person. It may sound insane, but it's these symbiotic warm fuzzies that keep the species relying on one another long enough to survive the savannas and populate the planet and invent Netflix. Fourth fact, let's all take a moment and thank evolution for Netflix. Fifth fact, the ancient Greek philosopher Plato argued that the highest form of love was actually this non-coital, non-romantic form of attachment to another person, this so-called brotherly love. Plato reasoned correctly that since passion and romance and intimacy often make us do ridiculous things that we regret, this 
sort of passionless love between two family members or between two close friends was the height of virtuous human experience. In fact, Plato, like most people in the ancient world, looked upon romantic love with skepticism, if not absolute horror. Sixth fact, as with most things, Plato got it right before anybody else did. This is why non-coital love is often referred to as platonic love. Seventh fact, for most of human history, romantic love was looked upon as a kind of sickness. And if you think about it, it's not hard to figure out why. Romantic love causes people, especially young people, to do some stupid stuff. Trust me, one time when I was 21, I skipped class, bought a bus ticket, and rode across three states to surprise a girl I was in love with. She freaked out, and I was soon back on the bus heading home, just as single as when I came. What an idiot. That bus ride seemed like a great idea at the time, because it seemed like such a romantic idea. My emotions were going crazy the whole time. I was lost in a fantasy world and loving it. But now, it's just sort of an embarrassing thing I did back when I was young and dumb and didn't know any better. It's this sort of poor decision-making that made the ancients skeptical of romantic love's utility. Instead, many cultures treated it as some sort of unfortunate disease we all have to go through and get over in our lives, kind of like chickenpox. In fact, classic stories like the Iliad or Romeo and Juliet weren't celebrations of love. They were warnings against the potential negative consequences of love, of how romantic love can potentially ruin everything. See, for most of human history, people didn't marry because of their feelings for one another. Feelings didn't matter in the ancient world. Why? Because there are fields to plow and cows to feed and, oh no, Attila the Hun just massacred your entire extended family the next village over. There was no time for romance. And certainly no tolerance for the risky behaviors it encouraged among people. There was too much life-or-death work to be accomplished. Marriage was meant for baby-making and sound finances. Romantic love, if permitted at all, was reserved for the heady realm of mistresses and womanizers. For most of human history, for the majority of humanity, their sustenance and survival hung by a tiny thread. People had shorter life expectancies than my mother's cats. Everything you did had to be done for the simple sake of survival. Marriages were arranged by families not because they liked each other, and especially not because they loved each other, but because their farms went together nicely, and the families could share some wheat or barley when the next flood or drought hit. Marriages were a purely economic arrangement designed to promote the survival and prosperity of both extended families. So, if Junior gets the tingles in his pants and wants to run away with the milkmaid across town, this wasn't just an inconvenience. This was a legitimate threat to the community's survival and it was treated as such. In fact, this kind of behavior was so treacherous in young men that most ancient societies castrated young boys so they wouldn't have to deal with their philandering. This had a side benefit of producing excellent-sounding boys' choirs. It wasn't until the Industrial Age that things began to change. People began to take up work in city centers and factories. Their income, and thus their economic future, was no longer tied to the land, and they were able to make money independent of their family. They didn't have to rely on inheritances or family connections the way people did in the ancient world. And so, the economic and political components of marriage ceased to make much sense. To be continued.
You just listened to part one of the post titled A Brief History of Romantic Love and Why It Kinda Sucks by Mark Manson of markmanson.net. And thanks a lot to Mark for a wonderful start to this article. If you've been listening for a while, you know that we've never really touched upon the history of love before. So this was some great information to cover and certainly information that sparks some reflection, if you ask me. Our feelings, certainly feelings about love, often feel so unique to us, so separate from what others may be going through. But even skimming through this brief history helps us see love from its humblest beginnings and can maybe put some of our own thoughts and actions related to love into perspective. Why these experiences might be here for us and how unavoidable their repetition might be. I'm looking forward to tomorrow's second part where Mark wraps this up further and talks about how it affects us today. I'm going to save the majority of my commentary for then like I usually do with the two-parters, so be sure to come on back to hear the rest, get a sense of love's evolution, and maybe speculate as to how it might evolve next. Hoping to see you back here for all of that tomorrow, where your optimal life awaits.